So when you have competition, you have people like in that room who are going through and saying, hey, I want to deliver this product. Well, they're doing that, I want to do this. And trying to understand consumer needs and wants around energy and being able to deliver that. So that to me is being part of that energy transition will be, okay, the conversation is that is very much around the climate change, net zero you know, targets for most players globally. And then the question for us is how can we help deliver that? We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome to the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode number 103 coming at you right now. And heck of an event we just wrapped up yesterday, the Energy Marketing Conference 17. We told you about it about a month ago with Mr. Jack Duett, co-founder of the Energy Marketing Conferences. And this was our first time at the Energy Marketing Conferences. And what an event it was. Nearly 500 folks, tremendous panels, tremendous speakers. It was a day chock full of networking, chock full of education, and from the folks we spoke to throughout the course of the day on Tuesday, nobody left disappointed. You learned all things retail energy. There was software folks there. There was renewables was there. I mean, everybody, a lot of folks were well represented. As you're going to hear from Jack Dueck later on uh, in part one of the recap of the energy marketing conferences. Look, it's hard to, in a day and a half, to get the ubiquitous world that is the retail energy, to get every thing in there, but I'll tell you what, Jack and his team, shout out to Miss Corcoran and her group for just doing a bang up job. It was an absolutely stellar event and uh, there was a lot of good information out there today and a lot of good networking that went down as well. So we've got a tremendous episode today. Again, this is just part one of the two parts. We had to break it up into two folks because that's how good it was and that's how many folks we were able to talk to as part of the Green Insider being the official podcast of the Energy Marketing Conference. And again, shout out to Jack and Miss Corcoran for helping us out on that. So we've got Deb Merrill from EDF. We've got Scott Hart from NRG, Dave Visno from Shell, as well as Ariel Smith. And of course, we wrap it up with Mr. Jack Dueck. But before we do that, let's hear from our CEO and co-founder, Mr. Mike Niemer, telling you about what it is we do over at eRenewable. At eRenewable, we know going green is important to your business and your ESG rating. Besides offering PPAs and VPPAs, through our network of clean energy professionals, we can also offer renewable natural gas or let us help you lower your carbon footprint with responsibly sourced gas from a leading global energy provider. Maybe you need green energy credits, whether it's unbundled RECs or RSG certificates. Your path to net zero and decarbonization is one step closer with the renewable. For more assistance, please call us at one 866 renew one Thank you so much for that, Mr. Mike Niemer. Don't forget, you can find out more about the company over at our LinkedIn page, eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast. And of course, you can also go to our website as well, eRenewable.com. The hits keep coming. We've got Follower Friday series going on right now. We've also got uh, the U of H series. We just dropped the first episode with Mr. Lotana Ohazariki. We've gotten great feedback on that. Part two drops on Thursday, so stick around for that. But let's get right down to part one of the two parts of the recap. That's how well it went. Here is Deb Merrill, president of retail at EDF Energy North America. She was the keynote speaker, kicked the event off on Tuesday, and was kind enough to sit down with us afterwards. Here is Deb Merrill. 
I love there's a podcast about renewable energy transition. Well, thank goes, you. It goes back to the whole concept that energy transition has a podcast. Well, okay. <laughs> so and, and, energy and, has a podcast. That's interesting. And what, okay, so you said a couple things that really jumped out to me. First of all, you know, you talked about, you know, where things were at in 1995 versus, and, I, and look, I mean, everything's changed from 95 to 2022, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, one, you said that we have a chance to be, re- you know, help make the energy transition relevant now and be a major player in it. What did you mean by that and how so? So, you know, as I said, it's it's constantly trying to justify your existence and to why deregulated markets exist. And, you know, I, I find that most of what we talked about, you know, even t- five, ten years ago has always been, hey, we should be here. Yeah. And I don't, and it, given the fact that nobody really cares about energy yeah. five, ten years ago, but fast forward to today, and it's, again, I go back, we have a podcast about energy, which would be not something that anybody would really care about five, ten years ago. But because right. it's, it's part of that conversation, I do think that competitive markets are really poised and, and set in a good way to deliver the energy transition. So generally, utilities are not necessarily the most innovative folks in the world. Right. So when you have competition, you have people like in that room who are going through and saying, hey, I want to deliver this product. Well, they're doing that. I want to do this. And trying to understand consumer needs and wants around energy and being able to deliver that. So that to me is being part of that energy transition will be, okay, the conversation is that is very much around the you know climate change, net zero you know targets for most players globally, and then the question for us is how can we help deliver that? Whether it's structured PPAs or whether it's you know solar and wind or solar and, and batteries in your home. So it's it's different for everybody, but the fact that it's a conversation and there's so many moving parts, and to kind of help manage this um, the complexity for customers because energy is complex. You know I, I remember when I first started in mid 90s in the energy industry, and I thought okay you just walk in you turn a switch on right. Like that's, it just comes on. But as you dig into it and as you understand it better, it's actually an incredibly complex pricing, structuring, markets, transaction. For the energy nerds like us, Mm -hmm. like we're all in on it, right? How do we get that fringe person who, look, as long as the lights flip on, we're good. How do you get that person to care? Um, So I'm not sure you can. Okay. Um, and And that might be a controversial way to look at it, but... I go back to this, when we're trying to push and say, hey, isn't this really cool? You can see how much energy your microwave uses. I don't care. But what we can do is we can pay attention to as consumers say, you know what, now I care. I don't think you can make a customer care, but I think what you can do is to be there when they do care yeah. and be able to deliver those unless products. Unless their bill gets messed up. Unless their bill gets, yeah. But then it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they care then, but they, they're not, not in a good way, so. <laughs> How do we get folks on both camps to come together? As far as gas and power, or renewables and, and Ex- brown, and exactly, brown and green? Exactly, exactly. People are on the brown energy side are trying to move toward renewable. The major oil and gas players have announced, you know, I mean, Shell wants to be the largest power company globally, and they also, you know, I want to have a ton of renewables so as you look at the companies that were traditional oil and gas players are definitely on the bus and the reason they're on the bus is because the world is you know they if they don't raise their hand and say they're going to do it then everybody's like well shell is bad or whoever insert name i mean go back to you know people actually care and want companies to be somewhat responsible in how they're treating the earth and because the customer cares about you know, the earth and, and this kind of global, global global climate change and global warming and what it is doing to their kids, 
you know, 10 years ago, people didn't care as much. It's going, going more and more so relevant um, because they care about that, then all of a sudden they care about energy. And so that, that is where I think we're coming in and saying, you know what, they care now. So now let's jump in and, and ride that wave and make sure that we're there to facilitate those and to deliver those, those tools. Is enough being done to diversify the ranks in what's been a very male-dominated industry? I know renewable is, is trying to be more diverse, but I think when you really look at when you break it down, I mean, they're just as lack of diverse, however you want to put it, as regular oil and gas is. A little bit about your career and is enough being done that perspective? You know, I've been fortunate in my career that I think part of it is luck, part of it is skill, part of it is, you know, right, you know, timing, but I've been fortunate that I've been around a lot of strong women in my career as well. Okay. Two things I'll say. One is I think some of my best mentors, you know, both throughout the years, haven't necessarily focused on that. It was just looking at me and saying, okay, she's smart, she's strong, she's, you know, wants to make things happen, yeah. so let's figure out how to help her, whether I was a man or a woman. I do, I work right now for EDF, and the CEO of EDF Trading, her name is Beatrice Bajois, she's a woman, she's based in London. The president of North America, um, Marianne Berlinski, woman, yeah. and I run the retail business. Okay. And so, you know, as people say those things, it's just, one, I probably don't think about it because yeah. I've been fortunate enough to be around, especially in the role I am today, I'm thinking, how many companies can you talk about, like EDF Trading, right. that three layers down are all three female executives. Yeah. So um, I think things are, you know, things are changing, but part of it, I, I tell women all the time, it's like, you've got to lean in, be part of it, don't be shy, take a seat at the table. All those things are kind of taking it upon ourselves to be able to create that. And, I'm on the board of the Women's Energy Network, and a lot of that is around giving women opportunity to connect and to network and kind of promoting that yeah. because a lot of times they're you know isolated and not necessarily maybe surrounded by a bunch of men that maybe they don't have the same you know, you know the same connectivity. Sure. So you know we do a lot of events around finding women an opportunity to connect and to to network and to find their find their voice, mentor each other and, and things like that. So I think there are great organizations like the Women's Energy Network out there, the Hawthorne Club, which I'm also on the advisory board for. They they are all around this kind of energy transition and female executives in that space and the ones who are driving this forward. So, uh, you know, a lot of great organizations out there and, uh, that are helping people and helping women kind of navigate the waters. Why is it fundamental for y'all to be in Houston and Houston's role in the energy transition? I mean, Houston, it's, I, I'm, I'm very proud of the city for understanding that, and, and part of it is the companies that are here, right? So they're saying, hey, we want to be part of the transition, we want to be relevant, BP, Shell, all of these chevrons. But, um, you know, Houston's done an incredible job of trying to attract new startup to the city. I mean, there are a lot of great organizations. A good friend of mine works for a VC firm in, in Houston that is all about trying to bring in new technologies around medical, energy, oh, wow. you know, anything around software, mostly software. HX Venture Funds. Okay. I knew I would get it. Okay. So HX Venture Funds is all, it's essentially working to try to invest in companies that will come here. Nice. To, to be able, because we need a, a good ecosystem of, right. you know, startup, entrepreneurial, and we have a, a good bit of that, but there are organizations that are 100% focused on making sure that we make Houston that place, yeah, exactly. um, which I think is a really strong, you know, Greater Houston Partnership, you know, HX Venture Fund. A lot of these places are all around Houston being the next place for technology, both medical and energy. You chat here with this. First and foremost, once again, can't thank you enough for your time today. How nice is it to just be back in the 
first. You know what, I, I, I love it. I also am grateful that, because sometimes when, when we were first back in person, you were it was so awkward you didn't yeah. know you didn't know what to do i feel like not only are we back in person but the awkwardness is actually going away yes. where i yes. had no qualms shaking your hand right yeah. it wasn't yeah. i wasn't like Very oh is true. he want to shake i wasn't sure is he you know is he one of those is he one of those i was like you're constantly so it feels like not only are we back in person but yeah. we're also it, it doesn't feel as awkward yeah. um because in person awkward is still not my favorite place either no no <laughs> so, it's not no it's not you no know, it feels good here is Scott Hart, Vice President and General Manager of NRG Business for the state of Texas. You've been in this industry a long time. When we look at renewables, when we look at battery storage, how difficult has it been to maneuver through these, this regulatory? All right, that's a loaded question. <laughs> we deal with a, a lot of renewables developers, and uh, we've definitely seen an appetite for them to entertain batteries yeah. in conjunction, obviously, to be able to store those really low-cost hours and, and move them to higher-cost periods. But in general, just you know, in a market like ERCOT, it's so dynamic with the amount of load growth as well as generation growth with renewables that I think the, you know, the market in general is just struggling with getting the physical assets in, in the market. And then building incentives, the, the CLM programs, for right. example, to be able to incentivize that, that battery behavior and, and act as an ancillary. In general, ERCOT's moving quickly, per se, as far as, as RTOs are, are really considered. But you know, as, a, as a marketer and an innovator, we would you know, we'd love to see things move faster. Uh, it's just kind of a product of, of what we deal with right now. From a marketing perspective, how are you guys trying to get folks to appreciate and or understand the value of renewables? Yeah, so that's, uh, I go back to Green Mountain Energy and, and they brought me on to, to work in the B2B space. So the appetite was always more friendly with residential consumers. You could kind of appeal to their uh, personal preferences where businesses have a fiduciary responsibility to seek out the lowest cost. And so, you know, selling in our space, selling B2B, isn't about comparing renewables to the grid. Okay. It's about, you know, it's a premium product that has other attributes that you know your investors might want, your want you involved with, uh, your employees. Uh, so kind of a stakeholder level sell that where you're appealing to those things, and that's caught uh, more energy over the past, I would say, five years, and certainly last three years. So now there's probably not a conversation or bid that we look at with a larger kind of CNI customer where they don't want some kind of offer around a renewable based you know sure. product. And then, of course, I guess from a B2B perspective as well, you're obviously, and I think you mentioned already, just the ESG factor, right? right. So we Absolutely. want those benefits because, again, let's call it what it is. If you're, right. not, if, you're not, if you're not counting your ESG, you're not doing it right. Right. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing that move its way down from those who have a specific EFG uh, objective because their investors are demanding it. But now their supply chain is going to have to start getting some compliance. And in some instances, the, you know, the... The entity that we're working with will require their supply chain to meet these requirements and are looking for solutions to work together with them to meet those requirements. So it's a very different you know, era from, from a customer appreciation. And I, I think the other thing that's happened over the past three years is you have your sustainabilities and your energy team buyers at companies which used to have very different agendas. Uh, we would talk and, and work with both of those groups are now much more aligned on what they're trying to do collectively. Okay. So those, there aren't two different voices going to the CFO, going to the CEO saying, oh, well, that's great, but it's going to cost your budget another 
Now it's all around solve for you know the right outcome. All right, we'll get you out of here with this two-part question. Number one, you mentioned that you're getting RFPs for crypto uh, every week. I mean, look, we know crypto folks, miners, what have you, are coming to Texas in droves. Have you ever seen anything like what's going on in the crypto space and its impact that it's having on the energy space? No, no, we've never seen this amount of load being added to the grid or potentially added. We know that you know, there's, there's a lot of projects that are being chopped around in multiple voices, so you kind of have to fight through uh, the wave of crypto development that's coming. But yeah, you, you add that to just our general, like LNG is another massive load that's been added to the ERCOT and the industrial Gulf Coast, as well as Louisiana. So it's not just a Texas thing. LNG is going to be a thing going forward. Those are massive amount of loads. Crypto seeking out those low cost hours and providing an ancillary service. So no, I, I don't think from a load growth and then you add population and the commercial you know infrastructure it takes to serve the population growth, Texas is just through the roof on load growth. And it's... it's uh, it's going to be a challenge. All right, last thing, a little more lighthearted. How nice is it to be back in person, to be a part of a mm. panel again, and have guys like me yeah. stick a microphone in your face, <laughs> ask about renewables and, you know. Yeah, yeah. Doing? No, it was, it was great. Saw a lot of friendly faces, uh, folks I'd worked with. You know, we're our industry, uh, at least the old guys who kind of came out of the, the utility pre-DREG and then moved into, into REG. The panel I was on today, there was no one like that. They don't even know what that world looked like. So it was great to reconnect to some of the day one guys and uh, guys that have been through this. But yeah, you can't beat the face-to-face. Here is David Visno, Chief Commercial Officer at Shell Energy Solutions. Tell us a little bit about you know Shell being kind of at the forefront from an oil and gas standpoint well before it was the thing to do. Right, and I'm glad you noticed that because that is exactly what happened. I think it was 2017 maybe when the Forbes article came yes, out where yes. Shell okay. pivoted and okay. made, and, and, I, and I could be getting my dates wrong, but it was 2016, 2017. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and they pivoted and they, I think what Shell has seen is they've seen the future. They know what we talked about at this conference today that, you know, sort of carbon conscious, sustainable, you know, uh, something that's better than where we are right now is, is where the world is moving. And Shell, we have a saying, which is build for tomorrow while delivering today. So Shell does understand that there's still a need for oil, right, gas for the current sort of energy mix to power how we're going to build the future. And I think Shell saw that well in advance before maybe some of their competitors have seen it, and they certainly were more public about it. And I can tell you this, it's really being embraced across the company. It's it's, it's interesting to see. I've only been at the company for a couple of years, okay. but I've worked with Shell for um, in this in this energy space for nearly 20 years. Okay. Um, and to see the embrace by a large oil company into sustainable and renewable energy in the future is pretty amazing. Again, when you're a major, you know, when you're a big six oil producer, how does that help you produce at scale so that when we're trying to meet these sustainability goals, having that in your back pocket? It's a really good question. I think the biggest thing it does is the name Shell opens a lot of doors. So it opens a lot of doors both with partners, with customers, because I think customers will drive what we want and what we need, but it opens doors, you know, with regulators. People will listen because of the pectin and because of the brand that Shell has built. But the bigger part is the responsibility that comes along with it, right? It's it's a responsibility of can we lead from a company that, you know, maybe wasn't the most carbon conscious in, in, in the world before some, some of what is known now into, you know, what the future is going to look like. And hopefully, 
you know, we will have others in, in the space follow as long. So, so it's, I think part of it is, you know, just the name helps, it opens a lot of doors, but then it can help us become a leader where we can get other folks to embrace the vision and, and come along for the ride. You mentioned something too that is, you know, and, and we really think about it in, 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 in its totality, all right? You got data centers, yeah. you got crypto, all right? You got Bitcoin mining, um, and yet, you know, you, like you said, now our houses have become yeah, Power electrified, right, exactly, own, right? yeah. And yet we want to go, you know, we want to decarbonize. Yeah. How does all the, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's such a tall task. How does all this, it, A, is it feasible, yeah. and B, how, it, do we need to be more realistic about how we're going to make this happen? That's a really good question, and that's something I think we as an industry grapple with almost every day. Panel, I was just on it, mentioned the number of electric vehicles that will be come out in the next handful of years. I think by 2030, the EIA has said there'll be 130 million electric vehicles yeah. on the road. Now, I think that may be throughout the world, but that's a that's a big jump. A and so, yeah, jump, just right? the infrastructure to charge these vehicles, yeah. whether they're cars or trucks or buses or whatever it might be, just that infrastructure alone developing that is extremely hard. The frequency with which a charger impacts the grid is something that most of us don't think about, but the folks who run the grids, the ISOs and the utilities think a lot. And so I think tempering expectations is important. We do talk about it a lot at the company. We talk a lot about with, with other industry leaders, which is, are we accelerating it too fast? Are we sort of setting ourselves up for failure? But I think there's an old saying that, that I like, which is you never know how far you can go until you've gone too far, yeah. right? So, I mean, why not put that pressure on ourselves to help the world and help people that want to do right by you know, the, the, uh, the planet? When I think of Shell, I think of gas stations, I think of oil, I think of gas. I don't think <laughs> yep. of retail electric, yeah. right? Not many I, do. I, you know, when you get that call from Shell, A, how surprising is it? And B, how does Shell differentiate itself from the others? Yeah, so I, I, I take myself back to, I got in this space and uh, I was hired in 2000, started in early 2001 before Texas deregulated, which was yeah. one of the you know largest deregulated markets in the U.S. Thing. Exactly. And I think about, I worked for a company back in the mid-2000s by the name of Constellation, who's one of the largest companies okay. in our space. And we used to sit in a room in Baltimore, Maryland, where the corporate office was at the time, and we would do SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats on all of our major competitors. Yeah. And so we would, we would look at all of our current competitors, but then we had another bucket for who are the folks we fear about getting in the industry at some point? Like, okay. what are industries? And the first was always the banks, where the money is. But the banks sort of pulled themselves out after the subprime crisis and regulations sort of got intact around trading and swaps. And so the banks, a lot of banks removed themselves. But the other one that we were always at least concerned about being an industry person were the major oil companies, the large energy companies that had big balance sheets, the Shells, the Exxon Mobiles, the Chevrons of the world. And so when Shell contacted me about this role and I had known some folks over there for a while, I knew they were sort of thinking about it and I knew they were dipping their toe into the water, but the commitment that they showed and how they differentiate themselves, I think was what you had mentioned earlier. They put themselves out there. They publicly announced to the world yeah. that they are transitioning to an energy company away from an oil and gas company. And so I think that commitment was what sold me on it. And living it every day, I can tell you it's real. There's a lot to be excited about. I think one technology I'm really excited about that we didn't talk a lot about on our panel, because I know we didn't have time, is storage, is the okay. storage of electricity. Sure. So again, I take myself back to 2001, 
in Houston, in the city we're in right now, working or in a training class, the first training class ever for Reliant Energy. And I was going to be one of their first employees in Dallas. And I remember the trainer who came into, our, into the room, and I believe we did a two or three week training class. And the first thing he said to us was, if you only take one concept out of these next several weeks, and the most important concept you'll ever learn in this industry is electricity is the only non-storable commodity in the world at a large utility grade. He's like, that is what drives every decision on grids, on reliability, on price volatility. And if we can ever learn how to store electricity, it will change the world. It will bring electricity to impoverished nations. It will bring electricity to underserved sort of parts of our own, in, in our own country and in the community. Right. And so that is probably what I'm most excited about is the leaps and bounds that we have made in the storage of electricity past batteries. Batteries are, are really driving that. And how can that impact? And I think, as, as Deb had said, as retail electric providers, we will be the ones out there helping sort of shepherd that new technology okay. to consumers, to businesses, to governments, and to, you know, ISOs and folks who operate the grid. So I think that's, there's, there's a lot to be excited about, but, but to me, that's one thing that wasn't touched on a lot here that's extremely exciting as we move forward. Does that include a hydrogen flight? <laughs> it could, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Here is Ariel Smith with ClearTrace. Your role with ClearTrace is? I'm director of Sales for Energy Suppliers at ClearTrace. And what do you guys do? We do carbon accounting, 24-7 hourly carbon accounting. Uh, we match generation and consumption at time of use and indicate a near real-time carbon footprint for our customers. Was this y'all's first time here at the Energy Marketing Conference? It's ClearTrace's second time. It's, okay. it's definitely my fifth or sixth time at EMC. It's a great ah, event, yeah. Okay, okay. And so what do you guys, so when you guys come to an event like this, kind of what's the, what's, what's kind of the goal? What are, you, what are you guys looking to do outside of education and obviously networking? But what's kind of the goal when you guys come to these? For ClearTrace, we're really exploring the marketplace and competitive energy. You know, a lot of folks are buying annual recs and calling it 100% renewable, green product. And what we do is bring a lot more transparency into renewable energy procurement and therefore carbon footprint as well. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And I'm guessing there's probably an ESG component to that as well? A hundred percent. So a lot of folks are going out and getting, uh, spending tons of money on large consulting firms to come in and calculate their greenhouse gas emissions. From the retail and competitive energy side of the business, you know, we can tap into all of your load and understand carbon footprint right away and match really? that to renewable procurement. Um, and then for your customers as well, we can pass that through to customers so that they don't have to go out and find a consultant to do their greenhouse gas reporting. Oh, wow. And then, of course, if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw on y'all's website, you guys also use a blockchain. We do. We store everything on a distributed ledger, oh, wow. and uh, we are on the Quorum chain, and that really brings prominence to our data. Our base unit is not the megawatt hour or the kilowatt hour. It's actually the hour itself. So within that hour is where we store environmental characteristics, time, location, and that really helps us build up into a portfolio-level view uh, what exactly was happening in the portfolio and the carbon emissions tied to it. And a lot of folks, even in our industry, don't realize that annual recs don't take into account when the wind's not blowing, the sun's not shining. So that's something that we really give some visibility to in a nice dashboard into saying, yeah, like your procurement actually produced this result. Um, and we let people look at a, a quarterly, monthly, yearly, or even down to the exact hour uh, where their procurement actually met their demand. So this is the fifth or sixth time for you being here. Had you ever heard renewables discussed this much at one of these events? 
It's growing every single time. I mean, there's larger presence from folks talking about renewables and the energy transition. And, and besides that, you know, I think the, the next couple of years, or even the, this next year, next couple of months, you'll see a lot more. The SEC just came out with new disclosures about greenhouse gas emissions. California has a new rule requiring global companies to disclose their emissions globally in all of their operations. And you see also the federal government is looking at 24-7 energy procurement. And they're, they're looking for information on how to build that product. So and especially, too, you look at Google, who's doing a lot of lobbying about 24-7 carbon-free energy. It's only going to continue to grow. And I think it's one of the challenges that our industry faces is how to make all that happen, how to truly decarbonize. Yeah. It's a good time to be ClearTrace right now. It's a good time to be ClearTrace, yeah. What's the biggest thing on tap for the rest of 2022? Any projects that y'all are working on for the rest of 2022 over at ClearTrace? You know, we're super busy. We just announced a partnership with Brookfield Renewable and Brookfield Properties. We're doing all of the carbon accounting and renewable energy accounting for a 100% renewable energy deal at a $3 billion LEED certified skyscraper in New York City. And then we're also passing that carbon accounting down to their tenants so that they can do their own greenhouse gas reporting from the uh, from the building itself. So working in commercial real estate, working with Iron Mountain data centers and helping them understand what it's gonna take for them to get to 24 seven carbon free energy are two of the biggest projects that we have on the docket that I can talk about publicly. And here is Jack Dweck, co-founder of Energy Marketing Conferences. It was a great uh, energy marketing conference. We had uh, seven really, really good panels, amazing panels. Uh, we had o over almost 500 attendees uh, from so many different types of companies. We had national firms at regional companies, regional uh, suppliers. We had over 125 different energy suppliers here today. Everybody felt like they were just excited to be back together again. It was like a family reunion to yeah. a certain extent. We had some people here that were opening up new retail energy providers that loved it. They loved it. They could not get. The, they told me themselves they could not get this kind of education anywhere. So we, I think, we fulfilled three major principles of our mission. Number one, to become the best networking event of the year. Number two, to provide, provide the most educational value anywhere, day and a half. If you add it all up, not only seven panels, four executive workshops, there were four breakout sessions, plus a two-hour seminar on risk management yesterday, you name it. And then the third uh, mission statement item we have is to become an advocate for the community, for the industry, and we got that really rolling at this conference. People really were focused on changing the narrative and what they're going to do about it and um, introducing new organizations that are going to get started doing it and we're very excited about it. I know one of the things we talked about when we discussed this last month to kick this event off was you were bringing in all sides of it, whether it was software, whether it was the brokerage side of things, whether it was renewables, you know, retail electric, you had all your bases covered. And that was one thing just from the folks I've talked to that they really enjoyed the totality of this event. I mean, yeah, yes, networking so. was there, but like you said, yeah. the education covered all the facets. Well, the truth is you, you never really, you can't really cover all the facets in a day and a half. That's really the truth. But we did, it's not just about marketing. It's not just about sales marketing. Right. Uh, we did have a panel on risk management. We had a panel on operations. We had a CEO, right, CEO roundtable. You know, every one of those panels, every single one of them, the people wanted to continue the going, which means that that there were topics that people really wanted and the speakers were fantastic. The, the panelists were great, the sponsors were incredible. Uh, without them we wouldn't exist. Uh, exhibitor booths were all very, very good. People are friendly and serving cookies and you name it. And, food was great. And executive lounge and the food, the hotel was did a fantastic job. I mean, I, I don't really have any complaints whatsoever. I'll tell you, we are back at September 14th and 15th at the Marriott Marquis in Times Square. We're also coming back to Houston next March, March 14th, I think 13th and 14th. 
14th uh, March of 2023. So we're making a lot of plans for the future because uh, the industry is really going to be taking off now in the next couple of years. Last thing, anything from this event that you're going to piggyback it onto or try something new when we get to New York? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There are a bunch of topics that people are talking about that we just don't have time for. Uh, For example, mergers and acquisitions is going to be a big big one in New York. Uh, We're going to talk about that, Um, you know, the consolidation of the industry and what what's really happening and if you want to sell your company what do you got to do to put lipstick on the on the company to make it look better <laughs> and uh, and if you're looking for uh, for for, uh, for for acquisitions you know what is it that you have to do so well, that's just one example but there's going to be plenty more i'm also talking about uh, a bunch of people that approached me to be keynotes that of, of that event okay. uh, one of them is the ceo of one of the largest retailers in the country if if we end up doing that it's going to be i think it's going to be fantastic this keynote we had deb merrill fantastic she was she was she was super super yeah. everybody loved her and and uh, she was uh, available after for questions she and talk. She, was. she was. She did a great job. I, I, I don't have any complaints. I I feel like it's a boring interview for you because I don't have any uh, any negative. Well, that's, that just means you did your job right. Yeah. I'm, well, my 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 toes great are hurt. Team. My my feet are hurting me, so I probably did something right. Well, I'll tell you what. This was my first time at a uh, energy marketing conference. I certainly enjoyed it. I learned a lot. Got to meet some great people, and I can't thank you enough for the invite. Thank you very much, Fred. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Jack Duack. Part two of the recap will go down this weekend. We've still got a handful of guests that we got to get to that you're going to hear from. Again, Kyle Andrews from Axiona, Jay Harpole from APG&E, and then, of course, Daryl Brown, the the legendary uh, Mr. Daryl Brown, Mackenzie Meek, uh, Dean Fox, just to name a few. It's definitely worth your time to listen to part two. You will not be disappointed. Uh, also, too, we're going to be at Gridnecks. Looking forward to sitting down with the one, the only, Mr. Peter Kelly Detweiler. Been looking forward to talking to him for a while now. Anybody that's in this space, you know who Mr. Peter Kelly Detweiler is, so we're looking forward to chit-chatting with him. And of course, we'll be at Gridnecks all day on Thursday, so stay tuned for that. Follower Friday. I mean, look, ladies and gentlemen, the hits just keep coming. Uh, you can't slow us down. You can only hope to contain us. As always, shout out to the entire eRenewable team, Mike and Roger Al, the guests, the audience, everybody. You know the drill. Thank you, as always. Shout out to the Intelometry guys as well. I had a chance to chit-chat with some of them as well. Met Jerry for the first time. Our boy Guy Sharfman. Stay tuned for the data guy. Of course, Jeff and Mike and the entire Intelometry team. Shout out to all of you. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier. Easier.